one more time for our children. My youngest son looked at me right before I got up, checked his watch and said, now, Dad, it's almost 11 o'clock. Um, you told us we was going to be here an hour. And I will, hopefully you a man of your word. Unbelievable. So for integrity's sake, come on, meet me in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Again, Merry Christmas to you. Merry, Merry Christmas to you. It is so good to see you all. Uh, again, I, I know, I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but y'all gonna have to forgive me. I moved here from New York and never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be scraping ice off my car in California. I've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok, tricked. Lord have mercy. Pick me up in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. I want to give you a brief word of exhortation. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. We'll read through the end of the chapter through verse 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I love it. Um, we don't really see Joseph talking in Scripture, but we do see him walking in obedience. Verse 14 simply says, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, Africa, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years older under according to the time that he had ascertained by the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, again, doesn't say a word, just acts, and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But, verse 22, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived, watch it now, in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I do pray that you would bless both the reading, the proclaiming, and the hearing of your word. I pray that the seed of your word falls on good ground. pray that you would encourage our hearts and that the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be clearly proclaimed. It's to that end, Lord God, that I'm available to you. 
Use me, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. His name was Eric S. Galt. G-A-L-T. And there was nothing about Eric S. Galt that would attract your attention to him. In fact, his own personal physician said that everything about Eric S. Galt was average, ordinary. If you saw Eric walking down the street, you would not do a double take. His was a face, demeanor, a disposition that just fit in with the masses. It was Hampton Sides, that award-winning author who would say this about Eric S. Galt. Look at it with me on the screen. Nearly everything about Eric Galt seemed bland and retiring. The details of his appearance falling somewhere in the statistical middle. Average height. Average weight. Average built. Average age. The cumulative effect, Hampton Sides concludes, of all these milquetoast qualities made him strangely forgettable. Now this begs the question, why then, Pastor, are we talking about this average guy known as Eric S. Galt? Because this average guy made history. On April 4th, 1968, he rented a boarding room from a boarding house across the street from the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. And this average guy, Eric S. Galt, went by an alias, James Earl Ray. And here, this average guy changed the trajectory of history. The moral of the story is tragically true. That average people can be used to do history-making things. That ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Now, this is a negative example, but as we come to our text, we see the positive example. If you want to profile from a human perspective of average, the poster child would seemingly be Jesus. Ladies, if you saw Jesus walking down a street, oh, say around the age of 25 or so, you would not turn to take a double take. Isaiah 53 says of Jesus that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He had average, at best, ordinary looks. Text tells us that he comes from, at, be at best, an average, ordinary town called Nazareth. It was podunk. In fact, it was seen to be some redneck hamlet of which it was asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? So here's this guy with average looks from an average, ordinary town, raised by average parents, Seemingly from average kind of a work history, his father was a carpenter, which meant that they weren't either rich or poor. They were kind of average middle class people. Everything about Jesus in his humanity and his upbringing said average, ordinary, average, ordinary, yet on a hill called Calvary. Some 2,000 years ago, this seemingly average man died on the cross 
in our place and for our sins. In fact, some 2,000 years later, we are still talking about who many in society would have labeled as merely average, this history maker, Jesus Christ. And Jesus solidifies the point that seemingly average, ordinary people can have extraordinary influences. Now, I don't know about you, but if I can come to your house today, put my feet upon your coffee table and deliver you a text message, I'd simply tell you that if you feel average, you are right in the crosshairs of the profile of the kind of person God uses. You may look at yourself and say, I I came from the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't have the best upbringing, didn't go to the best schools. I work an average job. I make an average salary. Well, you need to hear the words of Paul when Paul says, not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble, but God has chosen to use the foolish things of the world. To confound the wise, you may come from the average, even unordinary part of town, but God delights in using seemingly average, overlooked people to accomplish his huge purposes here on earth. Such is the case as we come to our text As we come to our text, we encounter Jesus who is born under seemingly suspicious circumstances. He is born to a mother by the name of Mary, but his father is the Holy Ghost. He's born in a little town called Bethlehem, but now he's being forced to be raised in a little podunk village called Nazareth. Our text tells us that not long after his birth, some wise men come from the east. These wise men, scholars tell us, probably are coming to him from what we now know as modern-day Iraq. These wise men aren't followers, specifically of Jesus Christ, and yet they're drawn to him, these pagans from the East. No doubt they come to him because intuitively they feel as if something is missing in their own lives. Why else would you make a journey thousands of miles away to see a little baby boy. If I can just stop right here and say, someone's in the house this morning and you are here on Christmas morning and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, but if you could do an internal x-ray of your soul, you would have to conclude that something is missing. I don't care what you pulled up on the parking lot in. If you might have, you might have driven here a Tesla or a Range Rover, but I'm here to tell you those things can't scratch you where your soul itches. There's only one who satisfies and his name is Jesus Christ. That corner office won't do it. That PhD won't do it. That new car won't do it. That relationship won't do it. That certain house on that certain street and that certain zip code won't do it. There's only one who will satisfy the deepest longings of your soul and his name is Jesus Christ, a little baby boy wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is Jesus. And so now what we've stumbled upon is the beauty of the incarnation that God would leave heaven wrapped not just in swaddling clothes, but would take on flesh and walk among us. It is astounding. No doubt many of you under the sound of my voice, you've read the book, the classic book written in the early 1960s, Black Like Me. It was a book written by John Howard Griffith, a white man who was so appalled 
by what was happening to black people in the Jim Crow South. That in the fall of 1961, John Howard Griffith decided to find out for himself. This white man in the fall of 1961 did the unthinkable. He went to a dermatologist, took medication, submitted himself to ultraviolet rays, both of which would make him darker. His pigmentation got so dark that white folk thought he was black. For the next six months, he traveled the Jim Crow South, this white man looking like a black man, living like black men, and he experienced the horrors of life in the Jim Crow South. He was called everything but a child of God by white folk. He was denied eating at certain restaurants, couldn't drink out of certain water fountains, and had to go to the other side of town just to go find a bathroom break. Black folk were endeared to him because of this. Black people couldn't wrap their minds around why a white person would leave their privileged position to identify with them. Well, there's a greater John Howard Griffith. His name was Jesus Christ. He left his privileged position in heaven, took on flesh, and walked here not just among black folk, but walked here among every kind of person, lived life that we could never have lived, was mocked, was scourged, was ridiculed, was spat on, had his beard plucked out so that you and I could get back to heaven. Why? He gave up his privilege. So that you and I could eternal life. And what does he call us to do? To follow Jesus. And this incarnation means that we voluntarily don't hoard the blessings of God. But when we receive his privileges, his blessings, that we share them with other people who are in need. For truly it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I'm done. But at the end of this text, we now have a problem. Herod has a problem. When Herod gets the news that Jesus Christ is in town, that Jesus Christ has been born, he's upset. Here's Herod, and the reason why he's upset is because Herod is king of the Jews. Now, you might be sitting here wondering, now wait a minute, I thought Caesar was king. He is king, but the Romans decided to let the Jews govern themselves under their authority. So the Romans allowed the Jews to have their own king who would be subservient to their king, Caesar. So here you had a Jewish king, Herod, who is upset that there is another king, Jesus, who has just been born. He's so upset that not only does he reject Jesus, but he issues an edict that every baby boy is to be killed up until a certain age. This is what happens when you reject Jesus. When you reject Jesus, you live a life of sin. No, your sin may not be murder, but life apart from Jesus Christ means I now operate life on my own terms. And when I live life on my own terms, instead of submitting to King Jesus, I am now living in sin. So here's Herod. Watch it now. Herod hears that there's another king on the premises. His name is Jesus. He now wants Jesus killed. Why? Because Herod fundamentally understands you can't have two kings on one throne governing the same people. There is only room for one king. I'm done. Living inside all of us right now are two kings who are vying for the throne of your life. One is the king of the flesh called Herod. Herod is in your life trying to get you to run your life by your terms. But if you're a Christian, you've also got another king. That king's name is Jesus. 
Here's what King Herod and King Jesus inside of you understand. There's only room for one king on the throne. So if you're a Christian, every day is a fight to acknowledge who's going to be sitting on my throne. Will it be my flesh, Herod, or will it be King Jesus? I'm done, but hear the words of Herod, of, of Bru- Dale Bruner. Dale Bruner says these words as we close. Look at them with me. He writes, the main point of Herod for the doctrine of human nature is this. Herod is not dead. Herod lives on in us, the people of God. The exaggerated ambitions, pretensions, self-centeredness, greed for position, grudge against God, guile, and finally, human cruelty and insensitivity, the fruit of our war with God, must be contended with even by Christians until the last judgment. There are two kings at war in the world and in all of us, Herod and Christ. We know who will win. But meanwhile, the battle rages. Herod is here in scripture, partly as a warning to the Christian reader of who he or she, in no little measure, still is. As the band plays, I'd be remiss to talk about Jesus and not give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Friends, I'm here today, and I promise you, someone's here, and you don't know Christ as Lord of your life. Friends, I want you to know that if that's you, Herod is calling the shots in your life. Herod is saying, do life on your terms. He's saying, do what makes you the most happy. Herod is saying, place your ultimate hope in the gifts under the tree instead of the man who died on the tree, the cross of Jesus Christ. Herod says you can find fulfillment independent of God. But there's another king. That king's name is Jesus. And that king will ultimately reign. And there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus on this Christmas day. I can think of no better gift, friend. In fact, there is no better gift than to receive the gift of Jesus Christ right now in this place. So, Father, I pray a simple prayer. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone leave here today without saying yes to Jesus. So we want to give an opportunity. If you're here today, if you don't know Jesus, in just a few moments, we're going to invite you to come forward. If you're here and you do know Jesus, these two kings live inside of you. So my question to you is, who is on the throne right now of your heart and life? Is it Jesus or is it Herod? Father, again, let no one leave here without saying yes to you. Yes to Jesus Christ. This baby boy took on human flesh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, who wants to give us the deepest longings of our soul, found not in a car, not in a house, not in a human being, but found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.